Last but not least, I do want to just introduce our special speaker, uh, no stranger to you, Charles Park, our lead pastor here at River Church, who has been gone this summer and is now back with us. So let's welcome him in a warm way. It is good to be back. Hi, good to see you all. My name is Charles. I've been gone a little bit. Uh, some of you, I'm sure, are new to the river and first time seeing me. Good to have you here. I am happy to be back. I was gone for a while, uh, part of which I was in Korea. Many of you know that my mom had a hip replacement surgery. Um, she's recovering very well. Surgery went as well as it could have gone and she is even walking a little bit now so uh, i'm very grateful thank you to all of you who have prayed for her it's she is on on the way back so i'm happy about that anyway it's good to see you all um good to be back it's great um so i think many of you on the way here may have noticed today is 9 11 and around here, it is a big deal because it happened right here. And every year, uh, major sections get closed off. They do commemorations. It was such a massive event, such a tragedy. A group of religious fanatics um, thought that it was a, a service to God to kill 2,996 people uh, in this uh, World Trade Center right here. Uh, what a tragedy that was. Uh, let's just take a moment to pray, 9-11. God, uh, we lift up the souls of the people who have perished and the families who are left behind with wounds that just very hard to heal. We pray for your presence, pray for your Holy Spirit to comfort, to bring peace that transcends understanding. And we pray that you would move the hearts of this world that such a tragedy doesn't repeat. In Jesus' name, amen. So thank you for praying together. So today I want to talk about violence. Violence in this world, this desire and tendency to try to force one's will uh, through means of violence to impose one's will on another. Um, because Jesus taught that such a thing is categorically unacceptable. He said, you have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. Very famous teaching. You have heard this, turning the other cheek, yes? Jesus taught that violence is never acceptable. Isn't that very clear from here? Categorically rejected. Even against evil people, he says. And as famous as this teaching is, not many seem to really understand the reason behind this teaching and the importance of why we should follow such a teaching and what's the payoff in following such a teaching. And because of that, I don't think many people really believe this or follow it. 
even here in America, which is supposed to be heavily influenced by Christian faith, some types of violence obviously is very much rejected, but other types of violence is too easily accepted, even in areas uh, dominated by Christians, like the Bible Belt, for example. America has a very different reaction to gun violence than, say, 9-11. Did you know that there are over 600 mass shootings a, day, uh, a year, every year? It's like two a day. Two mass shootings, let alone all the other gun violence. I mean, we get shocked by sensational news events like Sandy Hook or Uvalde uh, that just happened or Buffalo shooting. That, that, that gets our attention. But there are two mass shootings a day, and we don't often notice it even. We become used to it as if it's just part of normal life, uh, just whistling past it. One headline I saw recently put it, there is no way to prevent this as the only nation where this regularly happens. <laughs> there are more guns than people in America. No other country comes even close. 30 to 40,000 lives are lost to gun violence every year, let alone injuries. Which means something like more than 700,000 American lives have been lost since 9-11 to gun violence versus 3,000 in 9-11. Let that sink in for you for a bit. America waged two wars and six trillion, spent $6 trillion in response to 9-11 to make sure it never happens again. We have rejected that kind of violence with a vehemence. But we do almost nothing about the gun violence. We are unique among the advanced countries. In Japan, they lose about 10 lives a year to gun violence, versus 30 to 40,000 here. Korea is not much more. UK and Germany are not much more. I mean, these are good countries to live in, right? It's not like they are dictatorial, they have freedom, they have democracy. Uh, we would all recognize these are good countries. And so, obviously, things can be done. No wars necessary to save lives. Wouldn't you agree? But not here, not here. Nothing gets done almost. In fact, it seems to get worse by the year. One reason for this, I believe, is an essential feature of the American narrative, a cultural bias, the light by which that affects all of us in terms of how we see the world, how it works, how we see ourselves. That affects every area of life, not just gun violence. There is a feature of the American narrative. This is the, actually the main topic for today because it does affect all of our life. 
And that is the rugged individualism narrative of the American dream, of which one feature is it's all on you. You've heard the saying that in America, this is the land of the opportunities, right? It's a land of opportunities. You come here, you can make things happen. It's all on you. It's all on you what happens here. It's up to you. Not like the old world in Europe. Here, it's up to you whatever happens to you, which is not really true. Um, today in America, it's harder to move up in social status here than in Europe, actually. But the narrative persists that this is the land where everything that happens to you is on you. You can pull yourself up by the bootstraps, the American dream, right? You've all heard this. This has affected you, I assure you. It has affected everything that you see and how you react and how you perceive good and bad, everything that happens. And it has affected gun violence issue as well in that such a narrative will bias towards seeing this issue as an individual issue with a, a lone crazy gunman going off as an individual sin. And so it's on that crazy criminal. Why should that affect me, a responsible citizen? Why should that affect my right to own guns, because I'm not going to go off and do that crazy stuff. So it doesn't affect me, and I should have my rights. Such an individualistic perception has its upside, but it has its dark side as well. Because there is a lot of good in taking responsibility for your life. There's a lot of upside to thinking that my life, I need to take charge of it. But this narrative that it's all on you, this is not only problematic in the area of gun violence, it's actually against Christian faith at heart. It's not all on you in Christian faith. Can we agree on this? In our faith, it's all about God. In our faith, even our salvation is about what God has done and what Christ has done on the cross rather than your righteousness and your goodness and all that you do. Can we agree on this? That this is a central tenet of our faith. It's not on you. It's on God. So this American narrative that it's all on you, it's at war or at odds with our faith. So the question comes up. It's the culture we live in. And so it's so easy for us to live by the American narrative. What are you going to live by? What is the light by which you are going to live and see? The American narrative or your faith in Christ? The answer to this question will determine so much of how you will conduct your life 
and how you will experience your life, how happy you're going to be, how peaceful you're going to be, versus how anxious, stressed out, insecure, and angry in life. Because if it's all on you, that's just a recipe for stress. Wouldn't you agree? Did you know that 20% of Americans suffer from anxiety disorder? That's a clinical level diagnosis. 20%, one out of five. One out of five among us suffering from anxiety disorder, not just extreme levels of stress. One-third of Americans report they are living with extreme levels of stress. Almost 10% of Americans suffer from depression. You, all, you add all that up, large number of people, maybe half the people in America, are living with some sort of clinical level. Anxiety, depression, stress, and I would assume most of us are living with some levels of that combination of those things. Can we agree on that? Let's be honest. It's the America. It's not just you. It's America. It's the narrative. It's the culture. It's the water we are swimming in that's affecting you. That's why all this is happening. Because even in spiritual area of life, this Americanism has contaminated our faith here, as it does everywhere at all times. Wherever Christian faith has gone, it was contaminated by the culture there, everywhere at all times. So America, there's no exception. Even here. You know, many churches teach that if you believe the right things and do the right things and pray the right way and follow the right guru, pastor, then and only then will you be blessed and saved and become part of the elect and blessings will fall on you, money will come to you, Right? You turn on the TV and, and you watch these very big-time pastors all decked out in, like, gold watches. And, I mean, that's pretty much all you see. What is the message? It's on you. It's up to you to follow the right guru. It's up to you. Even in area of faith, it's on you. Whether you are go to heaven or hell, is on you. What a recipe for anxiety, right? I mean, I've heard as a pastor, some people say as a little child, they used to wake, you know, stay up at night just anguished because they were worried they might go to hell. Or they were worried that their friend at school who they love so much, who doesn't believe exactly the way that their family believes, that they are going to hell for eternity. And so they would just stay up at night, just anguished. Uh, you know, those are seeds of anxiety disorder later. You know what I'm saying? By the way, I will talk about that 
sometime later. But that's just, let's just say that's just, do not worry. <laughs> that's not how it works, okay? Let me just say this one time. What you believe is mostly determined statistically, mostly determined by where you were born. If you're born in Iran, you're not going to be a Christian who believes in Bible Belt evangelical spiritual laws. Do you understand that? But if you're born in Texas, very likely that's what you believe, right? So do we really believe that God is going to send people for eternity of suffering based on the accident of where you were born? Do you believe in such a God? That would be an insult to God. Blasphemy, I would say. Do not believe such things. Do not worry. God's got you. Okay? God is good. God is love. God is on your side. Whew. Take a deep breath. Let's look at what Jesus actually taught. Jesus said, you have been told that it was said, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your God in heaven, who causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the faithful and the unrighteous pagans. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the worst sinners doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even secular non-believers do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. This passage is also from the Sermon on the Mount, very famous teaching that contains the passage we began the sermon with. It begins with a phrase Jesus repeats again and again in the sermon. You have been told that it was said. He is talking about assumptions. He's talking about what you have been taught from generation to generation, the light by which they saw. He's talking about cultural bias, what people just assume to be true that affects everything they do. One such cultural assumption was, obey the rules from the Bible and God will reward you. It's on you. And Jesus shocks them. I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your God in heaven because God causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the faithful and the unrighteous pagans. How does this strike you? That God sends the sun and the rain, treats the good and the bad the same. God blesses the bad person as much as the good person. Right? That seems to be the implication here. That all these things happen to everyone in the same way. Does that not offend you? Is it not hard to accept? It's hard for me. If this wasn't Jesus, if it wasn't in the Bible, uh, you know, if this is kind of like a Netflix show <laughs> and like, you know, evil villain does really well, I, I mean, would you watch that? I, I, don't think, I don't think shows like that would do well. 
That's why you never see shows like that. Every show you see, evil people in the end gets their comeuppance, right? Because we naturally gravitate towards that. And it's just not what we want. But apparently, God supports all people, no matter what. And this is not just one-off, anomalous, weird teaching from Jesus you can just dismiss because it just appeared once in the Bible. Many of Jesus' teachings run on this theme. For example, parable of the prodigal son, the most famous teaching by him. And many others run on this theme. So what is actually more surprising that in church we would be surprised or resist this teaching. By now we should be familiar that this is what Jesus says all the time. But we are still offended because we are majorly influenced by American narrative which gravitates towards more of the Old Testament God and Old Testament teachings about how you reap what you sow and that kind of stuff. And that feels much more appealing to our sense of justice. And I have to say, it is largely true. We do reap what we sow. That's very true. But when we look around, isn't it obvious that reality is more complex than that? Right? That's not how it always works. Yes, hard work and individual merit is a factor in success, but that's not all, is it? We tend to focus only on what we bring to the table, our work ethic, our grit, our intelligence, and we think that's all there is. But those are only a part of any story. Just think for a moment, if you were born a Jewish person in Nazi Germany, would it have mattered whatever you brought to the table? If you were a genius, physicist, you were still sent to the gas chamber, and there was nothing you could have done. If you were born a slave in America, do you think the American dream applied to a slave in America? Never. Nothing could have changed whatever happened to you. Could we agree on that? We all need a good environment like the sun and the rain, which is not up to us. And through no fault of ours, Bad things can happen to us. And in any success story, there are lots and lots of things like the sun and the rain that they needed that they don't talk about. Like Trump with how he had all these millions from his father. That just doesn't come up, does he? <laughs> right? So now can we recognize this truth? God sends the sun and the rain to both the good and the bad. Isn't that obvious truth when you look around? One implication from this is it's not all on us. There's an upside to this. It's not all on you. There's a lot going on in this world that helps or hurts you that we can't even think of. 
So one implication of that is we need to repent from becoming proud when we are successful and becoming despondent and self-hating when we fail. Don't do that. It's not all on you. So don't take it all into yourself, thinking it's all my fault or it's all my credit. Yes? And let's not worship success. That's what I see in American culture, in Instagram, in social media. It's like successful people, beautiful people, they are worshipped. They are looked up to as if their success and whatever good thing they have, it's just it's their credit. This is the kind of mentality that leads to anxiety disorder and stress. All the ills of modern life, modern misery of comparing, fear of falling behind. My friend from high school is doing better than me and feeling bad about yourself. We need to repent from this. The Greek term for repentance is metanoia. It denotes a change of mind, reorientation, a fundamental transformation of outlook, a vision of the world and of the self, and a new way of loving others and God. I really like this definition, a vision a new vision of seeing yourself and God and the world and others. A new vision. Take a moment to think about a vision of yourself. How do you see yourself and how do you see how the world works? There needs to be a change from it's on me. Because that's not faith. Faith teaches you, you are worth the life of God incarnate. A new vision that is based on this sense of security, secure in the love of God, and God's judgment of your worth, which is infinite. Such a vision can change everything about how you feel about life. If you have such a vision, you can stop trying to prove yourself so much. We spend so much of a life trying to prove ourselves because we are focused on individual success, individual responsibilities, righteousness, and worth. We need to be freed from such self-obsession. Look up and look around and realize we are all connected. You are not lone wolves. We are all connected to one another. And what happens to others matters to you, and what happens to you matters to others. It's not just about individual success and individual failures. The Bible teaches us this. What happens to someone affects us all, for we are all part of one body. Yes? That's what it means to be Christian. It's not just all on you. So, if people are dying, 30,000 uh, 30, people a year, 40,000 people a year, 
and it happens in no other developed country, as Christians, we need to stop focusing on my right, my righteousness. My, I am responsible, so I don't, I'm not going to go kill someone, and so I should have my rights. That's not Christian perspective. That's American perspective. A Christian perspective is we are all connected. I'm not so focused and obsessed about me. I am thinking about what's happening to my community, my environment, how I'm connected to others, and what happens to them affects me. So whatever it takes, I need to do to help this situation. That's Christian attitude. Amen? Amen. Jesus taught, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your God in heaven who causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good. The word love used here, as I so often teach, is agape. It's unconditional. We are to unconditionally love everyone, including ourselves. Unfortunately, even this teaching gets twisted into a measure for individual worth. People, as a pastor, people come to me agonized. Do I need to be a doormat to follow this rule? If people do bad things to me, I just need to take it. That's not what this teaching is about. This is really about seeing everyone, including yourself, as being infinitely worth protecting and investing in. And so you need to protect yourself too. Everyone is worth it. Right? That's what this is about. Don't make agape into a rule for individual merit. There is a reward for doing all this, what I have preached today. Jesus ends this sermon with be perfect as God is perfect. And that can feel like another rule and standard that we cannot measure up to, so it causes anxiety. But there is another way to translate this. Be whole as God is whole. Like perfect, not as in standard, but perfect as in you are whole and complete and just lacking in nothing. This is actually a reward for doing what I've been talking about. Because we all have holes in our hearts that question the point of view. We all have insecurities that makes us demand that we prove ourselves again and again and again. But if we can do this, then you will become a holy person. Now, this is cheesy. <laughs> I give you permission to laugh at me and mock me. I mean, this is one of those dad jokes, right? But I'm just hoping that you will remember, if you remember nothing else from this sermon, this idea that the holes in your hearts will get filled. That you won't ever feel insecure again. That you will not question the point of view. That you will not be caught up in the rat race 
comparing and feeling miserable and anxious because you're falling behind, that that wouldn't happen to you because you feel whole inside. That's heaven. That's a heavenly reward. You see, heaven is not just some extrinsic reward punishment mechanism for being good. That's something you get like, you know, you did well, so you get a candy. That's not how heaven works. Heaven is something that happens to you naturally and automatically because you are living in the peace of God, in the love of God, in the presence of God. Heaven will come to you if you can live like this. If you can have a new vision of yourself and of the world, that's the true meaning of repentance. Not just like, oh, I'm going to stop doing whatever little sin I'm doing. Repentance is about having a new vision of yourself and of the world. That will make you whole inside so that you can have the peace and can get some relief from anxiety, stress, and depression. And that is why we pursue faith to begin with. And this is the gospel that what Christ has come to give. And that's what we are trying to pursue together. So may a new vision of self and the world open up for you, starting today. And that the heaven will come to you, and may you be blessed in the peace of God and the love of God. In Jesus' name, amen.